before we go any further, guys, I'm just dropping in real quick to tell you that this was pre-recorded. I've been really sick, so I've had a hard time getting it out lately. So some of the information is a little dated. This was actually about the trade prior to the actual finalized trade. So you'll hear stuff about Jock Peterson and whatnot. But a lot of the information is still very relevant. A lot of the players that we discussed did actually get traded to the said teams. So I left it in here, decided that that information was worth keeping because it was still relevant even after the new trade. So again, I apologize for the inconvenience. And if some of this sounds confusing, it's because it was pre-recorded prior to the new formulated trade. So again, appreciate your patience and sticking with us and enjoy the show. Is loaded and one out. Oh my Sixth god! Right deep to right field, way up there and way out of here! Second deck walk off home run! Grand slash! Hello and welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bases Loaded. Bases Loaded is a fantasy baseball podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. Today I'm joined by almost called you Jay Montez already, George. George, <laughs> I'm joined by George. You can follow him on Twitter at Roto underscore Nino. And we have a very special guest. We are joined by Chris Towers of CBS Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at C Towers CBS. Chris, thank you for joining us, man. What's going on? Not too much. I don't know. I don't I don't feel too comfortable being a very special guest. Can we take the very off and just be a special guest? I feel like you're setting expectations really high right off the bat. <laughs> well, that's okay, because someone's got to set them high, because I know I set them really low. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in fairness, not meeting expectations is my comfort zone. So we did, we did just work out. We did just talk about that. How yeah. you? This is kind of your thing is is coming up short. So yeah, yeah. The FSWA <laughs> awards were yesterday, and a lot of really great people won, and I was not among them. Which is that's me. That's me all over. And welcome that man to the show, guys. Um, in all seriousness, Chris, we appreciate you joining us, man. Of course, yeah, it's awesome. A little behind the scenes here, we were talking about it, just that this all kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, we've been mocking together on uh, CBS, on the CBS website with, you know, with Scott putting them all on. And honestly, because of this, I skipped out on today's mock draft I was going to get in on because I knew we had this plan. But so Scott's going to have to, you know, because I know he was looking for people last minute, so I felt bad. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, we, we appreciate your time and kind of going to just get right into it. But before we do, I got to ask you, this, this Mookie Best trade is still relatively new. It's falling apart even. What are your thoughts on it as a whole right now? I think it's a fascinating trade. I think actually the nice thing about it is it's a situation where most of the players involved, at least that we know of right now, probably end up winning in terms of fantasy value as a result of this trade. I'm trying to think, like, I don't know if anybody really loses in in this trade in, in all its permutations you talk about you know the twins being involved the angels being involved you know the twins part is what's holding it up right now but you know it does sound like uh bruce dargate greater all right that's that's how you pronounce it i think it's i call uh, i call him greater all i don't know yeah um you know it sounds like the twins were definitely looking at him as a reliever red Sox not quite trying to contend this year could give him a chance as a starter if the medicals come through so he probably wins out jock peterson might win out gavin lux who wasn't even involved in the trade probably has an everyday job now that he didn't have before necessarily it's a really great trade for fantasy because it opens up a ton of avenues for people to get opportunities and a big part of that is just the dodgers had too many guys and now they have fewer guys and that's really helpful because opportunity is really important yeah, yeah, this is this is one of those rare situations where nobody loses a ton of value, if any, and so many actually gain, assuming it all goes through. Because right now, as we were recording, it's still up in the air. But I think they ultimately – the Twins might have to th- throw a little something extra in there or somebody might have to to make it go through all the way. But at the end of the day, on a, from a fantasy point of view, it seems it's, like it's going to work out for everybody. George, what do you think? Yeah, no, then right there with you guys. Now, is there any one player in particular that kind of stands out as, like, uh, uh, the big winner? Not the sexiest name, but Kenta Maeda, I think, is a big winner, especially if you play in, you know, specifically the CBS Sports uh, fantasy head-to-head points format, where 
you have five relief, five starting pitcher spots, two relief pitcher spots. He's relief pitcher eligible because the Dodgers yanked him in and out of the rotation so much. I would guess that's not really going to happen with the Twins. I would guess he's going to have a higher inning ceiling, and he can be super valuable as a starting reliever in that relief pitcher spot. We call him Sparks. And uh, that's a really interesting – there's a lot of those guys this year, Carlos Martinez, Carlos Carrasco, Julio mm-hmm. Urias, and those guys can be super valuable. So I think he probably is the biggest net winner. And I love uh, Alex Verdugo going to Boston. I think that he's not a power hitter, and I don't think he's going to hit for power in Boston. But Fenway Park basically reduces home runs. You look at the park factors and then increases every other type of batted ball type because it is such a a relatively big park, especially in the alleys. So it really does increase Babbitt. I think he could be someone that you might be able to pencil in for a 300 average in Fenway. I agree. Uh, when I look at this trade, I think Maeda and Verdugo also for Mir are two guys that gain a lot of value. The Twins don't necessarily have, you know, the, the rotation depth that the Dodgers do, so they can't, you know, don't, can't afford to manipulate his, you know, the way they use him so much, the way the Dodgers did. And Verdugo, uh, yeah, I mean, he's looking at like his NFBC ADP, he's going like in the 220s, 230s. And uh, I was talking about this with Mike yesterday that I think he can give you similar numbers to like Brian Reynolds, who's going or even maybe better than Brian Reynolds as far as counting stats. And he's going maybe 50 picks ahead of him. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if we see Verdugo in the top 100 by the, uh, by like Ooh. March 20th or something. Oh, see, wow. that, that's aggressive. Cause I said 150 and I felt gross saying that because although Verdugo, I like his profile as far as, a, as far as like a high floor type of player, I just don't think he offers the ceiling as like guys even just like just around that 150 range like Max Kepler. I I rather take Kepler's ceiling over Verdugo's floor there, but at least I could see them in the same sentence. Maybe a Framo Reyes and Verdugo, kind of the same idea. Just what do you need right there? That's where it's like. Oh god! No, no, I was gonna go for it. I mean, I kind of yeah. (laughs) I could see a similar profile to Jeff McNeil from Mm Alex. Like yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Like he's going to strike out 13 to 15% of the time. It's not quite as low as Jeff McNeil, but I think the hit tool itself might be a little better. And, you know, he ran relatively high BABIPs. He's going to be playing half his games in Fenway. I really do think, you know, 320 homers, 185, 190 runs in RBI, depending on where he hits. You know, if he hits leadoff, the counting stats could be huge there. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be someone in every draft who wants Alex Verdugo a lot. I actually, as a player, I don't love Alex Verdugo. I think it was kind of a, a mild return for the, for the Red Sox. I know the situation being what it is, they kind of felt like they had to get rid of Mookie Betts. Um, but I think his profile being so batting average heavy could be a real help in fantasy. Yeah, definitely. Like I, say, I, I think he does fit that need-based type of thing and McNeil comp I do like it I, I see where you're coming from because that's kind of like that's kind of where my head was going I just felt like there's just I feel like McNeil offers a little higher of a floor like all as far as like an all-around profile goes whereas Verdugo we're, we're hoping for him to be that floor so I, I don't know that's where that difference kind of is for me but I understand I get the comp I'm kind of with you on that one so well and McNeil's done it and you know, McNeil's done it yeah <laughs> and McNeil's done it that's a big deal so, again, we're going to be talking all things fantasy baseball with you, man. And this is just us kind of getting to know you and letting everybody else get to know you because you've been doing this for a long time. And I was telling you off the air, obviously, I was a huge fan of CBS. I still listen to CBS. It's one of the, it's one of the ones I still have in my queue because it just has that nostalgic feel for me. It was the very first podcast I've ever, I ever listened to. And from there, I've obviously branched into 10 years later or so doing this and I was listening back you know when Nando and Al were on so mm-hmm. it's like I've been there through the transition and those were guys that were hard to to, to let go of almost like you almost feel like you grew, grew a connection with them so I can imagine how you felt on your side but on my side as a listener as a consumer it was hard to see them go but you know they've done well since and you guys I mean Adams picked up really well Scott you obviously Heath you guys have all kind of you guys have a real tight-knit group and you can sense that it's almost like a just a lot of fun your show's a lot of fun but in general, though, I guess now that I'm done kissing ass, how did all that – how did well, – I genuinely enjoy the show, so obviously all this just rolls off naturally. I appreciate that. But uh, how did all this – like, how did you even get into this, man? Because I – for those who don't know, I went to high school with you, and I, I never I, I never heard, yeah. heard this <laughs> – this never was a thing I heard of happening back in high school, man. I don't know. And you didn't mention anything 
that this was something you even did in high school. So my background is actually, it's really in journalism. So I was actually, um, I worked on the, the Flanagan High School, Flanagan High School in Pembroke Pines, Charles W. Flanagan, for those <laughs> of you who don't know. Uh, I worked on the student newspaper back then. I think it was called the Raptor, maybe the Talon, something like the, the that. The Talon. It was definitely yeah, the, the Talon. Talon. It was the Talon when I went there. We only have a two-year two difference. So. Yeah, and so I was, <laughs> uh, I was there for three years. I went to – I started a journalism school in college. I went to FIU in Miami, and I, I kind of moved off the journalism path, but I stayed working at the student newspaper there, uh, became an assistant sports manager or editor, covered the baseball team, covered the football team, all that stuff. Coming out of college, I actually started working at the Miami Herald, uh, doing page design and online editing. Worked there for about 11 months and then uh, got hired at CBS Sports. We used to do our, you know, the player news that you see on the player page. You know, Alex Verdugo went three for four with two home runs yesterday. He's hitting 350, all that stuff. We used to do that in-house. And so I started out doing that, and I did that for a couple of years, working like that 5 p.m. to 3 a.m. Uh, graveyard shift for <laughs> the first four years I worked there and sort of slowly got the opportunity to expand as a fantasy analyst. I did basketball. You know, I was our main basketball fantasy writer for five years. Uh, started doing some baseball, started doing some football. And... Um, about two and a half years ago, I got tapped to be the, uh, the main editor, the, the leader of the fantasy editorial group. And so uh, that's what I've been doing for the last two and a half years. And that is great because it allows me to work with writers. It allows me to write myself and continue being an analyst. I can kind of keep my hands in, in all the different pots. And it's been, uh, it's been a super rewarding experience. Did you ever see this coming to this point? Like, is, you are so... Like, obviously, with the podcast and everything, just baseball in general, it's like, it seems like you, I, I've, again, I could just tell you've been kind of getting your hands into it a little more and doing a little more of everything on and mm-hmm. off the scenes. And it kind of seems like it's obviously just grows as far as growing with you as you grow in, in the industry as a whole. And obviously, as you move up the ranks in your job. So, I don't know. Do you ever have, like, it seems like, I don't know, it just seems like so much, man. It's crazy to see you, like, doing all this. It's, it's awesome. Congratulations on everything and all your success. Thanks. I mean, I never... I've played fantasy baseball since like two or fantasy football since 2000 and fantasy baseball since like 2004. Uh, I've had long running leagues that are still going since those times. And, uh, but I never, I definitely never thought I would be writing about fantasy sports for a living when I was 31. Like that, that was never (laughs) something that I thought would be part of the plan, but um, you know, the opportunity was there. I've always loved fantasy sports. And so, you know, it was, I was 23 years old when I got hired. It was an opportunity to watch sports all the time and, and write about them. And, you know, I, I'm nostalgic for those. You know, you said, uh, one of you guys said, like, gross when I said the 5 p.m. to 3 a.m. shift. And it's not ideal. You know, I was <laughs> married at the time, and I'm still married. But we That's didn't good. see each other a lot. Uh, and we, we made it through that. I did say I'm still married. But it was great to just, I just watched baseball. And I watched basketball and I watched football just like all the time. It was great. It's, it's, I've been really, really lucky to have the opportunities that I've had. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds amazing to me. I mean, to, to watch sports and, and write about it, you know, for a living, that that's, that's great. I mean, I've been doing this for a year, you know, just getting into the, the mm-hmm. industry. So it's great to hear these stories of other people and their grind really, because that's what we're trying to do here is just kind of grind and, and, um, make you know even a little bit of a, a name for ourselves here in the industry and grow as, as writers as analysts as, as podcasters so uh it's really great really great to hear every, uh, different perspectives from from people like you yeah it definitely is a grind that is the right word for it that's <laughs> mm-hmm. there's so yeah. much competition in this industry and it's a really great industry you know i go to the fsga conference every six months and it's great to see everyone and everyone's really supportive but there is a lot of competition it's really hard to break through um Mm-hmm. and you know it, it's something that everyone wants to do and you're really lucky when you get the opportunity to now you've been doing this for going on over obviously over a decade now when you when you put all together sounds like and um uh, eight years yeah eight a little years? Eight. Okay. just under a decade then 
<laughs> I figured I figured just straight out of high school because you've been I, I was counting your time over at the Herald every just sports in general but yeah, yeah. you've seen this industry pretty much grow because I feel like over the te- last 10 years has been really the big boom and it probably mm-hmm. really, really probably took off what about five years ago just it's great because you're mentioning it's, it's competitive but it's always been somewhat competitive but I feel like now it's like someone I'm sitting here in my apartment right now and I'm doing everything that this wasn't something you could do five or you could do five seven years ago but it wasn't really a popular thing to do now everyone's got a podcast. Everyone's writing. It takes that much more to stand out. It's hard. Mm-hmm. And you guys set this fi- – like you at CBS, not, not just you, obviously your team and everybody at CBS, set this foundation. That's why you guys are always, as far as the fantasy baseball podcast goes, you're one of the most popular, one of the most followed because you've been doing it for such a long time on such a consistent basis. And people don't realize that the success wasn't built – it didn't just start yesterday. It's something that you guys over there at CBS have been doing for years now. And it's just crazy. Like, how have you seen it like, – is there, is there any like, good or bad as far as it stands out that you've seen as far as changes over the last few years? I mean, yes. the good is just there are so many more voices and there are so many people who are just incredibly smart, who are who write for relatively small audiences, but who, you know, I love just doing research and seeing things that other people have done. And there's so many sites out there who are who are doing really cutting edge groundbreaking stuff. And it's really amazing. Like that, the passion that people have for putting in a ton of hours to come up with, you know, the, the latest research that like one of the big things over the last year that I've started using is cotton swinging strike percentage. And it's uh CSW rate. Yeah. CSW. Over, over, yeah. He just won the award yesterday. For yeah. That Alex fast at, awesome. at pitcher list. He's yeah. great. I actually, I had beers with him. <laughs> When I moved to Brooklyn, he's a really nice guy. And it's really awesome to see people, you know, kind of doing it as a hobby and turning it into something where they actually do become successful. And they, they teach people like me who do this as a full-time job. You know, I learn oh, yeah. a ton from people, um, you know, who are just out there grinding. It's, it's really awesome to, to see that. You have like you have the Alex Fasts of the world, obviously. And then you have like the guys who take it even up a notch from him, which is crazy. You have Chamberlain, you have oh, yeah. Cohen, you have you know what I mean like these guys are legitimately like like genius, almost leg- like geniuses. They're just very very smart Ivy League guys, and I love how baseball's transitioned. And that was kind of what I was getting going to get into next. Is just because I, I, I when I listen to the podcast, I know Scott almost seems like he's not a big fan of the advanced analytics. It seems like, and you have you have Adam who literally screamed at the fact that he was upset about fan graphs and savant being different rates. And I remember that, that was not too long ago. He was like, he's like, wait, I have to learn another, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a thing. The analytics are relatively new still. And they're obviously, like you mentioned they're growing new, uh, more and more people are adding new ones. So it's getting really, really crazy, but you seem to be embracing them. Are you somebody that's kind of in between you or do you kind of like them more, the more you look into them? Like what, I, how do you feel about them? My probably formative experiences as a, uh, a sports consumer and as a sports writer were one reading Dan Lebitard growing <laughs> up living in South Florida. Dan yeah. Lebitard was the, the main columnist, the Miami Herald. And it was like, I wanted to be him. And, uh, and then reading the other one was Bill James historical baseball abstract that came out in, I think 2001. And he did a big update in like 2003. And I bought that when I was in high school and it's like a 1400 page book with like, his top 100 all-time rankings at every position. I, I'm sure people listening to a fantasy baseball podcast are aware of who Bill James is. Um, mm-hmm. But that was like, and you look at what we're doing now with advanced stats. This is ba- pretty basic stuff. This was like, hey, on-base percentage matters. Craig Biggio's good because he gets hit by pitches and walks a lot. Like, it was pretty <laughs> basic stuff. Like, but that was the foundation, and it was like, that was when the light went on. It's like there's so much about this sport and every other sport that we just don't know yet and that we don't talk about, and we're still learning. And I think, you know, we've reached a point now in, in 2020 when we have all these, like, baseball savant and stat cast and fan graphs and sports info solutions and stats. And, you know, there's so much information that I do worry there's some things we're overthinking Yes. Um, I was having this conversation with someone on Twitter recently. It was about Wilson Contreras versus Mitch Garver. And how <laughs> that was Matt Williams. <laughs> yeah. I love him. Super smart guy. And he might be right. Like I'm a big Mitch Garver skeptic, but I, I'm the guy who is always skeptical of the one year breakouts. And yeah. I miss on guys like that. 
you know, as a result. And, but what I was, but, you know, this isn't to take anything away from the argument he was making because it makes a lot of sense. Mitch Garver just was awesome last year. He hit the crap out of the ball. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for me, you know, we look at Wilson Contreras and he's four years into his career, 1,700 plate appearances. And the underlying stats, the, the ones that we say are quote unquote skills based stats, are pretty unimpressive. But three out of his four years, he's been one of the three or four best catchers in fantasy. And at some point, we probably have to say there's something he's doing that StatCast just can't capture, even though we have more information than we ever have. And so that's, that's one of those things where I'm all about the advanced stats. I'm, you know, if I type a B into my Google browser, Baseball Savant is the first thing that comes <laughs> up, and Baseball Reference is the second one. Um, if I type F, it's not – Facebook like it is for most people it's fantasy pros um but I do think there are times when we can overthink things with them and so that's a balance that I've been really trying to strike lately is not necessarily over analyzing the obvious things yeah I've I've been struggling with that myself because not that I don't want to embrace all these and there's great guys, you know, like Max Freeze coming up with his own stuff. I don't know if you mm-hmm. follow him on Twitter but, or anything, but he like he's one guy that comes to mind because he comes up with his own like park factors and then you have other guys. And these guys are very, very smart. So obviously I do I, I will read it and try and consume it, but a lot of times it's like at what point are we overdoing it? And that's where it's like I have a hard time because there are there is still that eye test. You watch a pitcher, and I think it was Nick Pollock that pointed it out on one of his podcasts I was listening to, where because he was just talking about you can't quantify somebody being in a rhythm. That is a mm-hmm. thing. That is a legitimate thing that happens in baseball. Rhythms happen. You know, hot streaks happen. People just go on these crazy tears, and the numbers might back it up, but sometimes they don't. And you're wondering how are they doing it? You just can't quant. You can't put into numbers just being in that rhythm like and his i think his exact um his exact like i can't think of the word now the person that he was talking about though was uh flarity in the second half and how yeah. you know some didn't quite you know the underlying numbers the metrics didn't quite back it up all the way but he had an amazing second half and he was just you know he's like i was as, as you watch him in the starts he was just in he was just fluid man every single start he was just like in this like zone and you can't just – I can't stress enough. You can't put that in the numbers. But if you're not watching baseball, you miss that because you're looking at numbers and thinking, well, how did he do this? Yeah, it's so. – that's another one where that balance is really key because I talked about this on Twitter a couple weeks ago. I've been sort of Jose Barrios skeptic for the last couple of years for fantasy in particular. I love watching him pitch. I love – like he's Puerto Rican. My mom's from Puerto Rico. I have a, a real – affinity for for Puerto Rican players and you know he plays with a ton of flair and a ton of passion and it's really fun to watch and he's got that big like Bugs Bunny breaking ball (laughs) and when you watch him he's a guy who shows up on on like the pitcher list nastiest pitches count every day or every time he pitches and then you look at the numbers and well why isn't he better why doesn't he get more strikeouts why is he like a league average strikeout guy yeah. And <laughs> his fastball looks like it has so much movement. His breaking ball makes guys look silly all the time. And he just, he's been like a 3 8 3 ERA guy, ERA three years in a row. And every year before this year, really, this is the first year I think where the fantasy community has kind of accepted who he is. That's one where I actually think you probably learn less by watching him. Yeah, you're right. Because yeah. he looks so much, there is something that hitters just aren't falling for with him that we when we watch from tv and it's a completely different angle we see it and we say my god this guy's one of the five best pitchers in baseball how can anyone hit him it's and so the lack of third balance, pitch. yeah that yeah that's part of it and that and that balance is it's really tough to strike and so yeah. there are some guys who you know it's the 25 30 year old debate between the eye test and the numbers and you have to use both but there are certainly times when I think the eye test can lead you astray as well. Yeah, it's just amazing just how many variables there are, you know, when, when trying to find this balance uh, on how you, you analyze, analyze these players. It's just, it's amazing. So it's great to get perspectives from, you know, all these people doing this research. And oh, the- yeah, there's so <laughs> many smart people that are like, there, <laughs> there, are, there are so many people who are way smarter than me. And there's a lot of times when I'm, I'll put something out there like Mike Clevenger 
a couple weeks ago. I was like, we're treating him like a top six starting pitcher in fantasy, basically, as a community. And he's really only pitched at that level for 126 innings last season. Before that, he was good, but not that good. And a lot of really smart people, you know, were were telling me, well, here's reasons X, Y, and Z why he really is that good and you should believe in him. And I'm skeptical, but if I'm wrong, it's not going to surprise me at all because a lot of smart people are putting a lot of uh, investment in him. And, you know, that, that does definitely make me rethink my position for sure. Well, this kind of leads right into everything because this, these, these stats and what you take away from them and all that, this kind of just leads into how you create your player valuations. And I, this is obviously the next topic on the agenda. All right. On that note, we're going to go ahead and take a brief break and we'll be right back with you after a word from our sponsors. And we're back. So we're just going to jump right into it. What do you look for? What are your kind of your go-to stats? I mean, do you rely on, obviously you mentioned trying to balance it out, but at the end of the day, what is kind of your way of going about just evaluating pitchers and hitters as a whole? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think you, you start with the baseline performance, you know, the last couple of years, really, I think we can get too enamored of the single most recent season and kind of ignore who a guy was for, for three years before that. And sometimes skill sets change, but sometimes guys just have good years. And so I think you do have to, that's where you start. And then you look under the hood and you look at Tim Anderson being probably the most obvious example this season of someone who 10 years ago, coming off a season where he hit 330 with 20 homers and 26 steals, I think in 130 games or something, he had a ridiculously good season. And he's being drafted outside of the top 100, as he probably should be. Yeah. <laughs> but 10 years ago, that guy's a third-round pick. And so oh, yeah. sure. we've learned a lot. And so that's one where you look at what he did, and he had an ama- amazing season, but he had a 4-10 Babbitt or something. And yeah, he might be a high Babbitt guy moving forward, but he, he ain't that high of a Babbitt guy. And same with his teammate, Yohan Moncada. And so you, you look up, you start to go like, the really basic stuff. Did he outperform his BABIP? Did he have a really high BABIP? Did he have a really low BABIP? Was there a change in the skill set? And so, you know, f- fan graphs, baseball savant, those are all, you know, my, my go-to resources because you can get, you can take that holistic approach on a player and get a lot of what you need in one place. When you see those one-year wonders, so to speak, is that what sends you down a rabbit hole? I, I know it does with me. Do you go down that rabbit hole looking for reasoning to believe it or reasoning to debunk it? Like, I try to go into everything with an open mind. Do you kind of do the same thing? Or even, heck, you mentioned a three-year average, so to speak. When the guy kind of has that breakout year or potential breakout year, are you willing to buy into it if you could find tangible change within the profile? Or do you always remain cautious about it? I would say uh, I am... The fantasy community as a whole is pretty skeptical of the one-year breakouts, and I'm more skeptical than the fantasy community <laughs> as a whole. And, and that's one place where Scott White and I really disagree, is he, especially if, you know, he actually really is, you know, he, he does a really good job of keeping up on the advanced metrics. He's not, he doesn't get quite as esoteric as I can sometimes, but, you know, when he looks at Mitch Garver, he said on the podcast yesterday, Mitch Garver could be the number one catcher this year. I mean, anything could happen. I think it's unlikely if you look at his whole uh, track record. But based on what he did last year, he was the best hitting catcher in baseball. And it wasn't particularly close. And the underlying metrics all back it up. He hit the ball really hard. He hit the ball in ideal launch angles. Basically, everything he did backs up the numbers that he had. And so if that's who he is, boy, he's going to win some people some leagues, even, you know, when he's being drafted as like the, the eighth catcher off the board. He is, or fifth maybe. He's, um, there's a lot of potential there, but my baseline, and this is, I believe heavily in regression to the mean. And, and I believe that both in the way a lot of people mean with like BABIP, where it's just variance. And I also believe that skill sets do tend to regress to, their previous baseline. Sometimes guys, we, I've, I've been trying to hit this point a lot and I'm not sure I've landed it yet lately, but (laughs) 
we used to talk about hot streaks. And this was kind of what you were talking about with, with what Nick Pollock was saying about Jack Flaherty. We used to talk about hot streaks and we used to talk about this guy's really locked in. And then a lot of the advanced stats start to come out and it's, well, no, this guy just has an exceedingly low Babbitt relative to his baseline expectation. Or this guy's had an unreasonably high home run to fly ball ratio. And then we looked at it and said, well, that's going to regress. And now we've come back to, we can look at the skill set and say, well, hold on. He should have had a higher home run to fly ball ratio last year than his career. He started hitting the ball harder or he started hitting more line drives and he should have a higher batting average. The one thing I think we can sort of forget is that talent level and skill sets fluctuate as well. Sometimes guys, we were right. It turns out conventional wisdom 80 years ago was correct. Sometimes guys just get hot. Sometimes guys do play over expectations and it's not luck. It's just not sustainable. And that is, that's something that I think I've tried to pull back on in my analysis is saying this guy hit the ball harder in 2019. Ergo, he is going to continue hitting the ball harder in 20, uh, 2020. And I'm actually... I'm doing a mock draft right now and I'm staring at Anthony Rizzo and Josh Bell as the top two players on the queue. And that's exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> that's a very good example. <laughs> yeah. Screams that the pick should be Anthony Rizzo, but Josh Bell was so good last year and he really, he earned that. It's, it's a really hard, it is a tough decision to make between the two of them. So I think I'm just going to go with a bit of a wild card pick and take Keston here instead. <laughs> yeah when in doubt when in doubt just fluctuate uh, just uh just change what you're thinking and just exactly. go with the wall exactly just you know what you can't make the wrong pick if you don't make the pick exactly i, I like it <laughs> but yeah it's but, funny because if, if you ask us i'm pretty sure me and george are split on that because i would think i'm pretty sure i would take rizzo and i think you like bell more don't you george i do yeah so, I, there I you like go. Bell, so but, we're not gonna like, help you like, <laughs> that that one's a tough one though and, and that goes into the whole you know what you see on the Statcast page and stuff is like how much of it is, well, it, you know, it's more descriptive than it is predictive. Yes. And like you said, you go, you have to go back and look at, you know, their, their skill sets and, and their track record. And so, I mean, I, I like to look at trends like kind of year over year, like maybe like over the last two or three years. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of more of the players that I buy into. Like if you, if you looked at like Marcus Simeon mm -hmm. and Tim Anderson, those are two guys who, if you look at over the last few years, over the last three years, at least, you know, they've improved like their contact and, and plate discipline a little, you know, as far as like their strikeouts and stuff go. But um, yeah, that, so those are some things that I, I like to look at is, you know, track record and, and if they've been making improvements year over year. I think these underlying metrics help us with more established players than they do with the uh, newer, lesser established players that have only been out for, you know, been around for a year or two. Like Robust, we look at Robust's uh, Savant page and it's terrible. It's like blue mm -hmm. everywhere. But that's descriptive. I feel, and I'm pretty sure most people, like people look at Savant like, oh, well, this is what he's going to do next year. No, that's just what he did last year. And who mm -hmm. knows? Like, and so it's like, you got to take that and it's like, well, you have to think a high end pop. Uh, he was a top five prospect in all of baseball at one point, I'm pretty sure. Yeah fantasy on fantasy lists he has the speed tool which will help him outproduce a lot of his you know which will help produce a high bad but maybe outproduce his expected batting average which is a whole other thing you have to realize that these expected stats are just that like people can overproduce or underproduce based on certain skill sets shifts whatever so it's like people that's why it's like people can't like you can harp people can follow these and be like well why isn't he performing better but it's like there's a it's just there's a reason why there's they're still expected because baseball is still baseball and things are going to happen but Oh, no. Ultimately, it's like – I'm sorry? You look at Mike Trout's StatCast numbers, and he doesn't hit the ball especially hard. I think he was like 180th in average exit velocity based on the, I think, 50 bad ball events qualifier that Baseball Savants uses as, a, as the baseline. And his hard, rate is, hard hit rate is good, but it's not, it's not Miguel Sano. It's not – I don't even think it's like Marcelo Zuna. But I, I think what we Trout know Mike Trout is the best hitter in baseball. Yeah. Like we know that for whatever reason, you know, there, there maybe aren't the crazy highs of a Miguel Sano, but he hits the ball basically perfectly. 
every that's, time. That's what's yeah. because that barrel rate is always like top 1%, top 2%, yeah. top 7%. I'm looking at his top four, looking at his last five years, and it's always been 7% or higher. And that, and that's why I'm pretty sure um, I've read some stuff that it, barrel rate is stickier year to year, and it's yeah. more descriptive. It's more uh, – relevant when it comes to showing your home run output so you don't have to hit the ball the hardest but if you're hitting the it's the quality of contact he's getting that that's you know that holds on to that home run total and it's kind of impressive that he has that good of a, a batting eye you know yeah, oh, yeah. it's crazy what mike trout can do man you know he <laughs> had the lowest ground ball rate last year uh, is, or, at, or in baseball him. yeah he had the lowest ground ball rate in, i'm guessing in all of i'm guessing of qualified hitters obviously yeah i would yeah. assume because obviously there's probably that one guy with like three at bats and three fly balls but yeah <laughs> but it's, it's kind of cool no and um the reason why i mentioned that before about just track like with guys more savage like goldschmidt people were really big on goldschmidt's gonna bounce back when i i actually i do do these deep dive articles for fan tracks it's kind mm-hmm. of what i started doing for them and goldschmidt was one of my first guys and i looked at him and you can see it, in the, and he's the type of guy, you look at the underlying numbers, you see just a slow, it's not even like, an, like a, oh, my God, change. It's like little by little, little, the chase rate went up, the swing strike rate went up, the K rates went up, went up with it, yep. the walk rates went down. It was just, but it was like a slow decline over the last five years that suggested, no, what he's doing is probably what he is. Like the batting average, sure, I, maybe he can hit 270 still, but he's not the 290 to 300 guy or yep. 280 even. Like I'm not, I don't think I'm going to get 280 out of him this year. It's like. People are just so set on this bounce back, and that's where a track record can hurt you because he's not old either. He's like 31, 32. He's, that's not old or 33 these days, whatever. That, that's old for today's game, but that's really not that old. And people are probably like really like, oh, I'm going to – you know, Goldschmidt's going to bounce back and be what he was. And that, that this is when somebody – all these underlying stats really start benefiting us because with a guy like him, there's just – you could see it. It's not just like a one-year down slope or a three-month thing. It's like a legitimate like year by year, little by little. He's the perfect example of when Statcast data is like, and other metrics, in general, are kind of like showing the reasoning, and you and yeah. kind of you got you can't just buy in on track record when it comes to him. But Rizzo, I don't see nothing in his profile. Going back to your Rizzo yeah. drama, in the case of like an older player like Goldschmidt, especially like chase rate and swing rate are actually I think really good leading indicators to look at because you can still hit the ball hard as you get older, but in his case particular, I think we were talking about on the on Fantasy Baseball Today podcast the other day. I think he was the guy we were talking about where you saw like two years ago, the, the swing rate started to creep up. He started being a little less select. Outside, outside zone swing rate started to creep up. And what that tells me, I'm, it's not 100% sure that it's true, but it suggests to me that he started to have to cheat a little bit. And so when he gets it right, he can still hit the ball really hard, but he's not quite as fast reacting. And so when you have to cheat, you're going to see the overall skill set decline, even if the highs are still really high. Josh Donaldson's, I think, another guy uh, sort of like that. And so that stuff like swing rate, it doesn't get talked about quite as much, but that's where you get into intent versus result. And intent would appear to me at least, I think logically, to be something that is going to be more representative of where a player is at that point in his career than just the results. You can hit the ball really hard, but it doesn't necessarily mean you read the ball right. You could have just guessed right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, you're 100% (laughs) correct. Now, when it comes to pitchers, are you more of an eye test guy? Do you like to look at the numbers, obviously, or mix them both up, which is what we all try to do, but I'm not sure what your availability is to watch games these days. So oh, I, I, get a mix, I get a bunch of mixed results. A lot of people depend on eye tests with pitchers more so than I've noticed. I, I love watching pitchers. Really, really great pitchers. A great changeup. Like this oh, might be yeah. like <laughs> I'm a really big Zach Gallen fan. I just took him in this NL only draft in the uh, – I believe it was the sixth, fifth round. And that's fine value for him. That's about where he should go. But I made sure to take him because I'm a really big fan of his. And part of that is he's got an – awesome changeup, and when a changeup works it makes a hitter look so stupid and there are yeah. a few things more satisfying than that and a good a good slider can get somebody to look yeah. real dumb too that's always fun and so these days i though. do worry if i like zach gallon more than i should because i like watching him <laughs> and so that's i have to and part of fantasy is just like you do want to have guys you like on your team that's that's part of it um but 
I do, I think everyone should guard against their biases. You should always be, like we just posted um, a breakdown of our top 100, or Scott White's top 100 players. Scott and I split the players up. Uh, he wrote 10, I wrote 10. And we did the case for and the case against drafting them. And basically you make the best argument for why you should draft this player. And there's guys who are being drafted in the 90s. When you read the case for, they sound like first rounders. And then you read the case against. And I think that's a really good exercise for people to do. I think it's, it's, it really helps me get ready for the season um, because it forces me to take someone like David Price, who I had basically written off. And then I looked into his season and actually David Price was kind of awesome for the first three months of the season. Basically the last four starts that he had before his season ended with that uh, cyst on his wrist. He had like a 316 ERA and like 10 and a half K per nine. He was really good. And, uh, you know, he had two starts where I think he pitched, got no outs and got one out, but otherwise he was averaging close to six innings per start. And so doing that exercise made me look at David Price and realize, well, this guy might have more left than I thought. And that's what you have to do because if you're not really taking both sides into account on any given player, you can lead yourself astray. It's really easy to just fall in love with a player and not consider how things could go wrong. That kind of leads right into the final thing, though, because you mentioned here is that Gallon guy. Is he one of those, like, because I, I, I think I mentioned, I want to just get a couple names, a couple hitters, a couple pitchers that you kind of, not necessarily target, but guys you just like their value and you're going to end up with a lot of on your team. And Gall, Zach Gallon seems like he's one of your guys. Who's another pitcher or hitter that you seem to just really get on all your teams as of right now? I want as much Frankie Montas as I can get. <laughs> so you're not afraid of the PEDs? Because I keep getting that question on Twitter. I'm not afraid of them either, but I'll let you elaborate. He always threw hard. Yes. It, it wasn't like he just showed up in, in, you know, surprise Arizona, I think, is where the, the A's play. He didn't just show up and start throwing 98 miles an hour. He always threw that hard. A big difference for him, he's had trouble staying healthy. But the big difference for him as far as performance was he added this splitter that just became an absolutely monstrous pitch for him. And overnight, he added it to his uh, arsenal. He started throwing it like close to a quarter of the time, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was an overwhelmingly dominant pitch that made people look stupid. I don't know. Maybe PEDs can help you increase your finger strength. And that <laughs> would be an, an, a very big factor in the quality of a splitter. But my thought is it's the splitter that made him so good. And I don't see... You know, like I said, I, I usually tend to shy away from the one-year breakouts, but he's going like 125th overall as like the number 38 starting pitcher. I love that. I love that value. Yeah, that splitter is just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot like a changeup. You know, when, when it's yeah. right, it can make guys look real stupid. Yeah, and that's exactly the reason why I'm like people always keep like, – I've, I've been asked multiple times about the PEDs, and I'm like, it wasn't the PEDs that developed that new pitch, you know. It was him, yeah. and – Right. You develop a new pitch that's that successful, and you alter your pitch mix to that follow, and the success follows. Then I'm going to buy into that regardless. But my now the only issue is is do do pitchers? I mean, do hitters adapt to that a little more yeah. this year? And so I th I think the problem is is if, even if he does have a little bit of a decline, which is you know it's probably going to happen. People are going to be like, well, it's the PEDs. No, it's probably because people got more tape on them and figured them out. But it's right. okay. We're, we're going to blame the PEDs. It's fine. He might just not pitch as well next year. Yeah. You know, that, that's also a thing that, that definitely happens is maybe he doesn't have the, the feel for the splitter. Maybe, you know, a, a Masahiro Tanaka situation comes and they change the, the makeup of the ball a little and it changes the way he grips the splitter and the way it moves. You know, that – that is a, a, a variable that we just can't factor in. But I don't think the PEDs are why he was good last year. And so I'm willing to take that chance at his cost. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good yeah, one. I, I'm right I, with I, you. I, I can get behind that as well. So who's another guy? Come on. I'm just going to keep asking until you run out of people. <laughs> um, hmm. Maybe a hitter. Let's, let's, let's yeah, let's over to pitchers. Well, I want, I'll give you one more pitcher. It was okay. a guy who I actually – wrote his case for and case against today. I hadn't really thought about him. Giovanni Gallegos oh. is <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> likely to be the closer for the St. Louis Cardinals, I would say. 
and he was incredible last year. I don't think because he only had one save in, in fantasy. We don't really care about relievers unless they pitch in the ninth inning. He was so good last year. He was so good in the minors. I think he's legit, and if he is, he's going to get a lot of save opportunities and could be – like his skill set doesn't look that different from Roberto Ozuna, who's been, you know, not quite the best closer in baseball, but he's always right there among them in fantasy. George is a huge Gallegos guy. Yeah, so. yeah, I'm right there with you on, on <laughs> he Gallegos. He's someone Gallegos. I've, been, I've been drafting everywhere just because, I mean, if you believe that Carlos Martinez is really trying to, you know, break that rotation, and, mm-hmm. I mean, Gallegos, he's the obvious choice right now, you know, really yeah. to, to step in uh, in that closer role. And, and, yeah, I mean, he throws that slider so much that's just – that's awesome. I mean, it, yeah, yeah that, he, the numbers on that pitch were ridiculous. I was looking yeah. up earlier, and it was like a – 128 batting average against and like a 227 slugging and a 50% whiff rate. And it's just like, <laughs> it was one of the best pitches in baseball. <laughs> exactly. It was, like, it was just stupid. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> for, lack of, for lack of a better term, it was stupid. Yeah. So he's one that I definitely like a lot. So that's three pitchers. We had Zach Gallen, Frankie Montas, and Giovanni. Giovanni it's Giovanni, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Giovanni, guy. it's Gallegos. I know that much. Let's get, let's get a hit or two out of you before I let you go. If that's okay. I really, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just trying to go through. Uh, so this one's more about the comparison and the price. Keston Hira, you know, we talked about the stack has stats and, you know, how sometimes, you know, you take them with a, with a grain of salt, but his were bananas. He hit the, the ball incredibly hard. And you look at him versus Fernando Tatis, Similar-ish prospect pedigree. Tatis was definitely better. Production, Keston Hero was a better hitter in the minors, but Fernando Tatis was younger, so you can balance those out. Um, But I don't know, man. He looks like he could be. The plate discipline is is worrisome, but it's no more worrisome than it is for uh, Tatis. And Tatis is being drafted in the second round, so I can get Keston Hero in the – fourth or fifth round in a 12-team mixed league, I love that value. I really, really like that. I have no issues with Hero. Uh, with, with Hero. I, I don't have a lot of shares. I'm okay with them. But there's always somebody like you that's higher than him in every draft I'm in. So I don't get any I've shares. been seeing that, too. I, I've been seeing that and, and you know, kind of hoping to, to get him right there, you know, in the uh, fourth, fifth round. And, um, yeah, it just seems like there's always someone that's, like, you know, taking him right ahead of me. So. I like I, the I usually, call, though. I, I usually, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a big hero fan. <laughs> yeah, I usually end up with Albies, which I'm fine with. <laughs> that's, that's usually the guy I get. So it is what it is. It's all preference. That, that second base is just heavy at the top, and it's just like five guys. Throw them in a, throw them in a hat, pick a name, yeah. and they're all fine. I'm fine with any of them there. So one last hitter. Let's go with one last hitter, and we'll call it a, call it a day. I love Fran Mel Reyes. Do you? Really, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a controversial one, but, you know, I look at – Jorge Soler being drafted really high. I look at Eloy Jimenez being drafted really high. I look at Troy Mancini being drafted around 100. And I don't see any reason why Framo Reyes can't be just as good as all of those guys. Now, some of them, you know, particularly Eloy, has that batting average upside if he can cut his strikeout rate down, and I get that. But I think Framil has the raw power to play with anyone. I think he needs to tighten up his launch angle a little bit, but you know, he showed signs of improving his plate discipline in 2018 in the minors and then in the second half in the majors. So I think there's actually upside that he's better than a 28 strikeout percent guy. And if he is, boy, he could be a, a 40 homer easily guy. He hit 37 last year. Yeah. My yeah. Only, that was say, that's the only thing I have issues with. It's, it's not even the K percentage. If he strikes out 30% of the time but hits me 50, I'm cool with that, you know? Yeah. But the problem is, is his contact rate, it's so – he just does not make enough contact. If he can make just a little just, – just even the same amount of contact he made in 2018, like, because that was, that was still, what, yeah. 4%, 4.5% higher than what he did in 2019, that contact rate is pretty – it's like one of the lower, if not the lowest, of, 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 actual, of actual qualified hitters, if I remember correctly. And that's crazy that with even though he's making, you know, by far under – under um under average you know under league aggr- league aggr- league average contact he's still putting up the monstrous numbers he did so yeah. 
I, I I'm with you. The raw the raw upside and power and everything about him is really intriguing. And the draft price again kind of follows. Like there, there's holes in his game, and it's it's baked into the price. Yeah, so, that's the thing is that he doesn't have to improve to be worth the 100 155th pick or whatever it is. You know, 157.7 so, is his ADP right now. Would you rather have Framil Reyes in a vacuum, Framil Reyes or Alex Verdugo? Oh, <laughs> Verdugo gives you a skill set that's a little harder to replicate in, in today's era. So I think I would rather go Verdugo, but mm-hmm. my thought is there will be someone in every draft who likes Verdugo more than me, and there won't be many people who like Framo Reyes more than me. That is- I like the Framo Reyes call. I, I, I love it. I mean, exactly. You're spot on. I mean, if we could just tighten up that launch angle, I mean, you're looking at – Jorge Soler was a good comp. Joey Gallo, those kind of guys that are going, you know, 75 picks ahead of him. Uh, and so Ray is, Ray, I think Ray is going to be an excellent value this year. Yeah, and you can even throw in Miguel Sano in that same boat. Yeah. You know, you compare him to Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo is going about 50 picks ahead of him on average. I don't think there's much of a difference between them. Miguel Sano might actually be the better hitter. He's not going to steal 10 bases, but I, I think there's a bit too much skepticism around Miguel Sano, too. I think what, what hurts Sano is the health issues of the past yeah. more than anything. But, again, he's another one. It's baked into his price. Mm-hmm. And, these are both, and these are both guys, Sano and Reyes, these are both guys that you can build your team to absorb their bad batting average. Because yeah. of where they're going, you mm-hmm. can get Jeff McNeil a few rounds earlier or DJ LeMahieu or – or you could build really, really solid category production, you know, five category production or whatever early in the drafts, get yourself a, a Starling Marte, whatever your preference is. You get those batting average speed guys early, build up for these, you know, 250. You're, you're hoping for 250 from these guys, but they can be 230 yeah. hitters. That's fine. You can build up, you can have a team in place to absorb that to a point. So that's another thing to, to keep in mind when, you're, when these guys are, you know, when you're drafting these guys or plan on drafting these guys. So, yeah, 100%. Well, on that note, I think that's going to do it, man. Chris, we appreciate you joining us. Again, tell everybody where they can follow you, what type of work you got coming out, all that good stuff. Yeah, at C Tower CBS on Twitter, I tweet a lot, not <laughs> exclusive, exclusively about baseball. So if you're into uh, music and food and other stuff like that, along Fun. with fantasy sports, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm an okay follow. And uh, – <laughs> You know, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Like I said earlier, we just published our case for and case against the top 100 players in fantasy for the 2020 season. I think it's an excellent resource. And uh, actually, the top 200 will be out by the time you hear this. So that, I think that's a great starting point for your, for your fantasy uh, drafts if you want to get to know the player pool because it's kind of a weird player pool this year, different than years past. All right. And as always, guys, you can follow George and I on Twitter. George is at, I almost did it. George is at Roto underscore Nino. I'm at Mike <laughs> underscore Curlin. As always, guys, we appreciate listening and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>